Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm Dr. Nadia Mohandasi, and I'm the Program Manager for the Emergency Management Continuous Improvement Program, or MSIP. We're talking today about the different ways the Corps can get involved with disaster response and recovery operations. I know a lot of times you'll see people out in red shirts or white shirts with that little Corps castle after hurricanes, building collapses, or, or whatever the disaster may be. I think there's a lot of ways that we get involved with these disasters that maybe people don't quite understand or really know about. And so we really wanted to explore that and sort of lay that out on this episode of the podcast, because there's a few different ways, and it's important to understand the nuances, I think. We have with us today Ashley LaFleur and Francesca Gilbert, two of our very experienced emergency management personnel here in the Corps. And let's start with introductions so everybody knows who everybody else is and, and what's going on here. So Ashley, let's start with you. What do you do for the Corps? I am an emergency management specialist for the Mobile District, and I've also served as the same, an emergency management specialist for the Vicksburg District. Great. Thanks, Ashley, for being here. And Francesca, what about you? What do you do for the Corps? I am the program manager for the Emergency Management Standardization Program. I work in Mobile, Alabama, Mobile District. Prior to that, I was the voluntary agency liaison at FEMA Region 10. And prior to that, I was 34 years at the Seattle District Army Corps of Engineers and was the National Emergency Preparedness Program Manager. And that is in the EM shop as well, right? Yes. Yes, it is. That's a really good segue because we'll get into the National Emergency Preparedness Program or NEPP because that's one of the ways that we can get involved in disasters and emergencies. So for the purposes of this podcast, I think let's just go over kind of there's four basic ways that the Corps can get involved with disasters. Four basic authorities, I guess I should say. So the first one is PL 8499. Then we have, uh, as Francesca just mentioned, NEPP or the National Emergency Preparedness Program. We also have the Stafford Act, which which when we get into, I think everybody's going to kind of go ding, ding, ding. I I get that one. I've seen that one out and about. And of course, the fourth way then would be um, direct support to DOD or Department of Defense. So we'll work through all four of those, give some examples so that it's a little bit easier to understand from authority to boots on the ground, what that looks like and the different types of support that we can provide. So let's start with PL 8499 or Public Law 8499, which is Emergency Response to Natural Disasters. This is the Corps' basic authority to provide for emergency activities in support of state and local governments prior to, during, and after a flood event. And this is a really important authority because it's kind of the biggest and the broadest one. It's the one that we do most of our work under, even though some of the time that work can almost seem invisible because it's not the bigger, shinier, you know, trucks move lots of debris places or blue roofs getting put on people's homes. But it's really, really important authority. Ashley, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this and what it means for us to respond under Public Law 8499. Sure. Under Public Law 8499, that's actually, I like to say that's even the reason that the Corps exists. So the Corps was established because of flooding. We use this authority to prepare for, respond to, or even mitigate against flooding or other events that involve water. The one that is most visible to someone maybe that doesn't know anything about the Corps is providing flood fight supplies. So you may see the Corps out assisting locals or the state by providing sandbags, providing pumps to help remove water from a place that is being flooded. So that's really the one that you see the most often. But it's actually, it's so broad. It's so much more than that. 
$84.99 is the basis of my job as an EM specialist for the Corps. That's what pays me to do what I do in preparing for disaster events, responding to them, and pretty much anything under my job description is part of Public Law 84.99. So we prepare for events by training, creating exercises, participating with locals and states in their training and exercises. That's exactly right. Ashley, when I was in Seattle District, that was one of the things that we were able to do quite frequently is operate under our 8499 authority. I love that public law because it's something that we can do once the commander and the EM team determine whether the event is going to be catastrophic and be a threat to people's homes and lives and property, then we can just go ahead and act. And it's such a great authority because you can see the results of your work immediately because we have the authority to respond and act right away. And so um, in Seattle District, as I said, we would activate every year for flooding in the fall from the rain. And then again, possibility for activations in the spring for the thawing of the snowpacks. And I think um, well, the reason that I just I love it so much, like, as you said, is because it's who we are, in, especially when it comes to emergency management. It really is who we are. Right. And actually, the way the core is set up is by watersheds. So right. just our own organization and the way that we have different EM shops in different districts across the country is because of water and how it flows. And that all has to do with Public Law 8499 and, and how we, we are very familiar with our own watershed and our own district. So we're able to prepare for and respond to events within that district under that authority. Yeah, that's a great point, Ashley. And there's a couple other nuances here that I want to make sure that our folks that are listening kind of understand. So while Public Law 8499, that's the law, the Flood Control and Coastal Emergencies, or FCNC appropriation, is what provides funding for all of the authorized activities under the law. The stuff like providing sandbags or providing other assistance to the locals. Those are those activities that are actually paid for under the FCNC appropriation. And I think it's important to note that the Corps can kind of provide two sort of broad overarching types of assistance under 8499. So we can provide technical assistance or we can provide direct assistance. Direct assistance is the stuff that Ashley was discussing, right? Like the sandbags, the physical stuff that we can put out there to help communities prior to, during, or after a flood event. But there's also technical assistance. And so French Jessica, I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit more about technical assistance and what that means, you know, some different examples of what the Corps can provide. Sure. When we are called to provide technical assistance, we usually send out a flood team engineer or flood team lead and a couple of subject matter experts to go and provide the community, the locals, direction on how to for instance, if water is coming up against a levee and it looks like it might be overtopping, or there's a danger of overtopping, we can provide technical assistance on how the locals can help avoid that or make it less impactful to the community. They can also find alternatives if water's coming up on a levee and it looks like there might be some degrading of the materials. We're often called to instruct folks on how to properly shore up that levee or whatever needs to happen. If you think of technical assistance as expert guidance, you will often send out engineers or folks who are technically proficient in providing guidance on how to best counteract 
the effects of the rising water is going to have on a community. One way I like to look at it, the difference between direct assistance and technical assistance is when you're doing direct, you're actually doing work, whereas technical is you're more providing technical advice or guidance. And, you know, I was saying the way the core is set up is with watersheds. The great thing about that is all those people are experts in how water affects the geography in that district. So we may be providing technical assistance by sending out, like you said, a subject matter expert who's probably lived there their whole life. They may have grown up there. They know exactly how that backwater levee is going to flood, either from the front or from the back. And so they can provide technical assistance by guiding those locals and how to best combat the issue that's coming down river and, and the different engineering solutions to make that less impactful to their community. Engineering solutions, absolutely. Yeah, that that was a great example and kind of a great explainer, Ashley. Thank you for that. And you said something there that I want to sort of close out this coverage of the authority. You mentioned guidance, you know, and support to the locals. And that's just it with 8499. While it is our basic authority to respond to these disasters, we are not in charge, right? We are not in charge of the disaster, Every disaster is handled locally. And while we provide guidance, we are not providing necessarily direction. Support under 8499, whether it's direct or technical, a couple of things have to happen. It has to be requested by the state, and it has to be supplemental. That's really important. It has to be supplemental to state and local actions, including their resources and capabilities, as well as National Guard assets. Exactly. I remember whenever the district would talk about whether they're going to activate, we always considered the Seattle district has a a regional warehouse and we would stock sandbags and pumps and a few other things, HESCOs, the big large bags that people use to flood fight. But we'd always consider, is the state willing to help or is the county willing to help with the response? Are they going to provide sand for the sandbags or how are we going to work together? It is a local response supplemented and supported by the federal families. And I'm actually glad you brought that up because as an EM specialist that wants to get out there and do everything to help everyone, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about what the Corps can do in emergency management. You know, we want to, we wish we could be that first in line to help, but there's just a process, a legal process that has to go through. It has to go through the different levels of approval. Um, in most events, the locals or the state has to actually prove what they're capable of and not capable of to bring us to the party. Per se, you have to be invited to the party. So while we may want to be in charge, we definitely aren't. We have to be invited and we're just a supplement to everyone else's efforts. We're day walkers. We have to be invited inside. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I think we've covered 8499 pretty well. Again, things to remember, supplemental, it's got to be requested. And, you know, we can provide direct assistance, we can provide technical assistance. And it really covers just such a broad range of activities, everything from disaster preparedness to emergency operations to rehabilitation. For example, you know, when levees are damaged with floods, and you see the core out there rebuilding levees that that's done through the rehab program under 8499. And there are some other categories in there that we only touched on briefly stuff like hazard mitigation, advanced measures, and then we can even provide, though we don't often use this one, uh, water assistance, you know, to areas that are experiencing drought. So 8499, it's big, it's broad, it provides us with a lot of the suite of things that we're able to do in the core in emergency management. But remember, always, always supplemental.
Okay, so let's move on. Let's go to NEPP, or the National Emergency Preparedness Program. Francesca, I know you were the NEPP program manager out in Seattle. I was wondering if you could just give us a broad overview of what that program is, what it covers, you know, what we do under it. Sure. It's the National Emergency Preparedness Program. And under that program, I was able to plan for national level exercises, participate in local exercises, planning for national events. For instance, in the Northwest region, there's still ongoing planning for Cascadia earthquake. That would be an event that would impact the entire region and would pretty much put the Seattle district in Portland District out of commission. And so there were a series of exercises and really they were every year we would have some sort of exercise in preparation for that. But in other districts, they plan for those catastrophic events that are not just going to impact their district footprint, but, you know, the whole division area. For instance, another district that plans for those kinds of things is um, Kansas City District in Omaha planning for New Madrid. So there are the catastrophic events. I also helped prepare planning for what's called the COOP. It's the Continuity of Operations Plan, and that's the plan that we would utilize in the event of a disaster that would impact our building so we're no longer able to report to the building, but we still need to continue to function. In the past, my exercises were always some sort of a biological impact that happened at the building or if a fire took the building out and we weren't able to uh, report. And now, in retrospect, I see that there are other things that are almost more impactful, such as COVID and and a pandemic. Um, I believe all districts executed their coup plan when we were hit with COVID. Right. So with the the authority we just talked about, the 8499, that's very visible. Everyone can see that happening where with NEPP, that one's kind of neat because you don't necessarily see it because we're planning and preparing for the things that may not happen in our lifetime. Um, So that's those huge events like you talked about, like Cascadia or New Madrid. Um, But but then, lo and behold, in 2020, we got to use that authority to respond to the pandemic of COVID-19. Right. We sent out a lot of experts to go help medical professionals assess facilities for temporary hospitals just because of the number of patients that were just crowding the nation's hospitals. So there's lots of interesting things that come under NEPP that someone might not even think about when thinking about what the core responds to. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, you mentioned the things that might not happen in our lifetime. Hopefully, right? We (laughs) we hope that they are not going to happen in our lifetime. Those things like an earthquake in the New Madrid seismic zone, which is, you know, in the middle of the country, kind of around Tennessee, Missouri, Alabama sort of footprint, or a Cascadia out in the Northwest, or a pandemic, like Ashley said, like Francesca said. And so all of those COVID-related response actions that we undertook last year, 2020, and then again, and, you know, some of the ones that we undertook in 2021, that was all done under NEPP. And so that program, so it's really an O&M, Operations and Maintenance Appropriation, that funds those authorized activities under NEPP. So stuff like Francesca said, COOP, Continuity of Operations Planning, Catastrophic Disaster Response Planning, and even EOC support at the division level, that's also covered under NEPP. So a quieter authority, to be sure, but one that is just as is important nonetheless. Okay, I think we're good on NEPP. Let's shift over to the Stafford Act, uh, which is the loud authority, <laughs> if for lack of a better term. So while NEPP is kind of quiet and behind the scenes, Stafford Act is pretty loud and in your face. 
So what is the Stafford Act? Ashley, can you walk us through that? Sure. So the Stafford Act governs how the United States government provides a coordinated response to disasters. So it's actually the legislation that says how our government will provide support to locals and states when a disaster happens. And it's gone through so many iterations over time based on how events have occurred and the different needs that have been identified and then best practices that have come about to say how we should help assist those locals and states in a disaster. And it's actually all planned out in the National Response Framework. So that is a national plan that says how all federal agencies and even other agencies, like volunteer agencies, will all come together and support communities that have been impacted by a disaster. So that National Response Framework actually gives the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers the lead for emergency support function number three, which is public works and engineering. And under that, we have so many different things that we can do. Different types of mission assignments is what they call them. They come from FEMA. Some of the things that people may have seen us doing under our Stafford Act authority may be removing debris, like you mentioned earlier, the trucks going by and picking up all the trees that have been knocked down after a hurricane, or putting on the blue temporary roofing that you see one a tornado may come through and, and tear a lot of roofs off of houses. Uh, so it's those, those big visible response efforts that you see after a big disaster comes through and impacts a community. Those are great examples. Another example, even out, not even a hurricane example, but in the case of the wildfires up in the Northwest, the Corps of Engineers received a very large temporary housing mission. So, uh, And that mission is, is so complex because it could either involve building a group site where temporary housing is established, or it also would involve bringing in an MHU. Right. Those are those manufactured housing units. Exactly. Um, right. But or, you know, people sometimes people refer to them as uh, FEMA trailers, but the technical term is MHU or manufactured housing unit. Right. And the, and the goal there, of course, is to put people into safe, sanitary housing while they rebuild their lives. So just like with Public Law 8499, we have to be invited to participate with Stafford Act authorities as well. So the locals have to request assistance to the state, and then the state would then obviously supplement the locals. However, if the state can't handle it, they ask for federal assistance to come in and supplement the effort. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. And I think to skip over a step, so how does something become a Stafford Act disaster? You know, the air quotes around it, right? So Stafford Act disasters are those that are declared by the president for incidents that are of sufficient severity to warrant federal assistance to either the state, the territorial, or the tribal government to alleviate damage and loss caused by that specific event. So you might have natural catastrophes like hurricanes, tornadoes that we've talked about, or regardless of cause, the president can still declare a Stafford Act uh, disaster for things like fires, like Francesca said, or floods or, or even explosions. We mentioned before that the Corps has the lead for ESF-3, which we do, but really on a broader scale, the Stafford Act gives FEMA the lead with help from contributing agencies like the Corps of Engineers, while the National Response Framework then assigns those specific roles and responsibilities to each of these federal agencies. You know, we mentioned a couple of our typical mission sets, you know, temporary housing, debris, and there are. There's a standard kind of set of mission, a suite of missions, if you will, that we can provide under ESF-3, like debris removal and clearance, temporary emergency power, temporary roofing, infrastructure assessment, temporary housing and critical public facilities, like we talked about a little bit. And then we can also provide support under other ESFs, for example, ESF-9, Urban Search and Rescue. You know, the Corps has a specially trained cadre of folks called Structures Specialist that 
that can go out and basically they're making sure that in catastrophic incidents like earthquakes or, for example, more recently, the Surfside building collapse, they're making sure that the first responders that are in there doing the, the search and rescue are operating safely from an engineering standpoint based on the debris that's left over, you know, that they're searching through. So that's kind of nitty-gritty and in the weeds. But um, So with 8499, we were talking about earlier that it's built by watersheds and all the experts know that how that geographic area is affected by water or the lack thereof water. So the experts responding to that type of event are experts in flooding in that location. With Stafford Act response, our experts are coming in from all over the country. So we have like a system built within the core of, of teams that are experts in one type of response, whether it be temporary housing or the temporary roofing or debris removal. So in an event that has been declared by the president, those red shirts and white shirts that you see the core workers coming volunteering to do that work are from all over the country and they're experts in a type of assistance rather than in that particular type of event. Yep, that's a great point. And I think another thing, too, to understand is just because we can, we have all of these teams, we have these standard suite of missions that we are prepared to execute, we don't always execute every single mission upon every single disaster, right? So that gets to what Ashley was talking about earlier, that this kind of stuff has to be requested. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the sequence of delivery. Every event is local and is managed locally. And then as it starts to become outside of the local's capacity, that's what they start to request assistance from the state. And then if it's, as we said, if it's a national disaster level, then they request assistance. Right. And so just because I think one of the things, like Ashley, you talked about earlier, we as emergency management specialists and personnel, we we're helpers by nature, right? We want to go out and we want to help. And I mean, I, I think, I hope that's most people's human nature. You know, you want to go out and you want to help. And so sometimes while it it may look from the outside like, oh, there's a hurricane, let's throw all of our abilities and capabilities at it, you know, and, and move faster and get trucks out there and, you know, yada, yada, yada. What is important is that, again, we're supplemental and it's not a bad news story when we don't get a mission. It's actually a great news story because that means that the state and the locals have that resiliency, that capability to handle it on their own. And that is what we as the federal government are trying to support, right? We're trying to support the resiliency at that level that communities are able to handle and manage their response and their recovery and get themselves kind of back up to a new normal after incidents such as these. Yeah, it's, I know it's really hard for communities to understand when the sky is blue, that's the best time to start planning for an event. You need to make sure that all your ducks are in a row because when an event happens, it's unfortunately going to take the federal government a while to get there. So you have to have your plans in place at the front end to make sure that you're prepared, that you know which voluntary agencies will be there to provide assistance immediately. You build a plan up front to help get you to where the point, if the federal government is called in to provide assistance, you have to be able to fill that gap until the federal government can come in and help. And again, it's just help. Only you know your community and only you know what is best for your community and your recovery. And so if you do the planning ahead of time, we can come in and the Corps can come in and, and supplement with our mission assignments but the true recovery is going to manifest when the locals and the community are involved in the recovery. It's not a federal recovery. It's a community recovery. Yeah, like the whole community response. Exactly. 
Right. And I think it was mentioned it takes time for us to get involved. Not only does it take a lot of time, it takes a lot of money for, to mobilize all those assets to come to a community to help them recover. So like you said, it's a huge, huge success if we don't have to get involved. Now, don't get me wrong. We're all on the edge of our seats. All those teams we mentioned earlier, the roofing and debris and housing teams, they want to go because they want to help. But in all honesty, it's better if we don't, because that means those locals have learned from previous events. They've got their plans in place, their resources set, and they're able to respond on their own. And that is great. That's huge. And and you're right. We all we do want to respond, because I know when I was NEPP, if there was even a little bit of disturbance (laughs) in the Atlantic, people from all over the district would say, put me on the list. I want to go help. I want especially if a lot of folks have ties to Texas and Mississippi and all, all the regions or from other parts of the world. And they want to come help. So I remember people emailing and calling and say, it looks like there's going to be something happening. Put me on the list. I want to be, I want to go help. I want to go help. But we want to help. Absolutely. Right. Don't worry. We'll be there if we need to be, but <laughs> yeah, get home that it's better if we're, if we're invited. Not. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks guys. I think, I mean, we can go on for hours and hours, though nobody on this podcast probably wants to listen to that, about <laughs> the intricacies of the Stafford Act, of which there are many, right? But I think we've covered kind of the broad perspective of it. So then that fourth way that we can get involved in disasters uh, is is under support to DOD or Department of Defense. And again, just like uh, all of the other authorities, we have to be invited to the party. But this is where we can provide support directly to the DOD during disasters upon their request and appropriate funding. Right. So a lot of people refer to us as the Corps of Engineers, but the fact is we're the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and that's part of the Department of Defense. And so we could be requested to provide support to the Department of Defense and some examples of those recently would be Matsu after Hurricane Florence and then again at Tyndall Air Force Base, which was where Hurricane Michael actually made landfall. Yeah, so support to DOD. This is how we provide support to those military installations like that. Exactly. Don't forget, too long ago, Alaska District also recently provided engineering technical assistance support to J-Bear. That's the military installation up in Alaska after that earthquake under this authority. Yep, absolutely. And so, you know, it's just one of the other ways that we can help provide support to the nation during the times in which it needs it most, right? In the times that we want to help our communities recover from disasters, no matter what type of disaster they may be. So hopefully folks that are listening to us today uh, have a little bit better of an understanding about how we can mobilize and respond to these various disasters, the authorities under which we can respond. And of course, if you have any questions or you want more information, always, always, always please feel free to reach out to your local district emergency management office or shop. They're really the experts. They're always looking for volunteers. They're always happy to help educate us and help tell folks more about this really important mission that we have, uh, which is supporting our country in its time of greatest need. So I just want to say thank you again, Francesca. Thank you, Ashley, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. And to our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and the people that you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.